Eddie Mayer on LBC. It's Friday, it's a quarter to five, it's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, the last time we gathered around the radio campfire, American Week ended on a cliffhanger. Would Joe Biden escape the jaws of doom and secure enough Democratic Party support to get at least one of his major legislative initiatives passed in Congress? Or would the country endure another nail-biting, make-or-break week that would leave his presidency once again dangling at the edge of the abyss? The answer... A bit of both. On this vote, the yeas are 221, the nays are 213. The resolution is adopted. It was just before midnight last Friday when Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, was finally able to steer the President's $1.2 trillion infrastructure proposals to victory. It is the biggest single piece of legislation since President Dwight Eisenhower decided to build the interstate highway system in America in the 1950s. Billions of dollars will now be spent repairing America's fading and crumbling infrastructure infrastructure. Bridges, roads and airports will be fixed and modernised. The country's ancient lead water pipes will be pulled from service. Meanwhile, at the other end of the technological prism, affordable broadband will be made available even in the remotest corners of the nation. We did something uh, that's long overdue, that long has been talked about in Washington, but never actually been done. The president on Saturday morning celebrated victory and rekindled suggestions among swooning Democrats that just perhaps he could still be the most consequential president since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The House of Representatives passed an Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. That's a fancy way of saying a bipartisan infrastructure bill, a once-in-a-generation investment that's going to create millions of jobs modernize their infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our broadband, all range of things. Six Democrats from the left of the party voted against the president's proposals and in most cases spent the week trying to explain to angry constituents why. But 13 Republicans ended up facing even more opprobrium from within their own party. They crossed the aisle and backed the president's plan, which was, after all, initially crafted with the support of several Republicans in the Senate. But that didn't save men like Congressman Don Bay a Republican from Nebraska, from having to explain himself on CNN. I think in the end it was good for the country, and I just got to follow my conscience. It shouldn't have been this toxic or this divisive. Um, People should have been able to vote their conscience on it. But everything in America these days is toxic and divisive, and former President Donald Trump unleashed his hounds, turning them against the 13 Republicans who had backed President Biden. Some received death threats in voicemail messages that we cannot play you on a family radio program. All of them came under fire by conservative media outlets, rhetorical targets now placed on their backs. Grant Stinchfield is a host on News. Max TV. I continue to believe that Joe Biden is the greatest threat to America, but I never thought that I would see a group of Republicans conspire with him to take this nation down. Remember their names. They are on the screen right there. Read them off, everyone, as I'm talking to you, please. They are political traitors and even worse, co-conspirators to plot to communize America. And to think, poor old Congressman Don Bacon from Nebraska just thought he was voting to fix the roads in his district. The next stop on his explanation tour, quaintly rooted in facts, was Sirius XM Radio. You know, the Republicans are the party of infrastructure. Abraham Lincoln 
did the Intercontinental Railroad and did all the waterway works. Dwight Eisenhower had the Eisenhower system. I think we should embrace this. Mm-hmm. Our country needs it. And it's unfortunately conservative news sites uh, that I've long been affiliated with are intentionally reporting it wrong. And so I, I think, folks, I just ask you to read the bill. And, and read a balance of news sources and you'll get the truth. Somehow, I don't think they're going to. Now, regular listeners of this news source will know that infrastructure is only half of Joe Biden's legislative loaf. He's also shooting for a much larger public spending measure, the Build Back Better bill, to coin that rarest of things, a political catchphrase shared with the Prime Minister. So, once again, a game of legislative brinksmanship is underway, with the White House struggling to secure enough support from the president's fellow Democrats to get the thing passed. The report might not be ready next week. So if it's not ready next week, we might not be able to vote on it. Congressman Henry Cuellar of Texas is one of many Democrat holdouts waiting for the impartial Congressional Budget Office to report on the fiscal impact of the president's planned spending spree on the national debt. We just want to be responsible uh, when we pass legislation. You just can't pass a big bill and not know what the costs are and then leave it to somebody else. We want to know what are we voting for? What's the cause? You know, what are we looking at? Crazy idea. There is one element to the president's plan that this week secured some star power support. Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, is a big fan of the president's proposals to give Americans 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave when they become new parents. The idea has now been significantly diluted and in one version of the legislation it has been removed altogether. So after wage a relatively quiet behind-the-scenes campaign to support paid family leave, the Duchess this week went very public. My husband has always said, with great privilege comes great responsibility. Um, But even before I had any sort of privilege in my life, when my life and my lifestyle were very, very different, I always just stood up for what was right. She spoke at the Deal Book Summit hosted by the New York Times. And so I had been gone from the U.S. for a really long time, and to come back and now be a mother of two... And to see that the U.S. is one of only six countries in the entire world that doesn't offer any form of national paid leave just didn't make sense. So I guess my approach was the same as it's been since I was really young. When I was 11 and I saw something that was wrong on TV, I put pen to paper and wrote a letter about it. So on this, I said, well, let me write a letter and let me pick up the phone and make some calls and see if I can help. Now, at that very moment, on the other side of the Atlantic, in legal testimony, she was making headlines for admitting she had a faulty memory in the case involving the Daily Mail and the letter she wrote to her father. But over here, she's on an entirely different track, increasingly visible in the political conversation, heading to Washington soon as the guest of honour at an annual dinner for female lawmakers, unnamed friends continuing to intimate that she's interested in a political career. She will know, like everyone else, that Joe Biden's approval ratings are underwater and that Vice President Kamala Harris is even more unpopular. Just 28% of voters now say they approve of the job she is doing a heartbeat away from the presidency. So it's definitely not a bad time to start jockeying for political position and getting behind an issue that is very popular with many voters. I think this is one of those issues that is not red or blue. We can all agree that people need support 
certainly when they've just had a child and we have a five-month-old baby so it's a really um, sensitive one for us we have the luxury of being able to have had that time not just for moms right but for fathers as well to be with our newborn and I think if this entire country if you know if we valued American families in that way as we should it sets us up for economic growth and success but it also just really allows people to have that very sacred time as a family. The other half of the Sussexes was also making news here this week and also about American politics. My experience, I guess, has been more pre-social media around uh, the UK press who sadly conflate profit with purpose and they don't report the news, they create it. On Tuesday, Prince Harry was the guest at a Wired magazine event focusing on the woeful state of journalism on all platforms on both sides of the Atlantic. But amid the broadsides that he and other panellists were lobbing at the news industry, there was a clarion example of the woeful state of journalism. Stephen Levy, the editor-at-large of Wired magazine, asked the Duke a very salient question. Have you, have you ever had a chance to present your case to the leaders of these companies, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey? No, not, not, not directly, not personally. Um, uh, Jack and I were, were, were emailing each other prior to January the 6th, where I, I warned him that his platform was allowing a coup to be staged. Uh, that email was sent the day before, and then it happened, and I haven't heard from him since. Stunningly, Mr Levy asked not a single follow-up, despite the explosive nature of that claim. Prince Harry saying that he warned the founder of Twitter on January the 5th that his platform was being used by Donald Trump's conspiracy theory-believing supporters to foment an attempted coup in America that took place the very next day. As members of Congress investigating the assault on the Capitol spent the week grappling legally to get their hands on the Trump presidential papers that the former president is desperately trying to withhold, it will not be surprising if Democrats on Capitol Hill are also curious to see that email the prince says he sent to Mr. Dorsey. While America still ponders how close its democracy came to collapse earlier this year, there was fresh evidence this week that the threat to its core institutions is very much ongoing. And it came in the unlikeliest of settings, a homicide trial in Wisconsin. As I'm turning around, Mr. Rosenbaum is coming at me with his arms out in front of him. He, he, I remember his hand on the barrel of my gun. That is Kyle Rittenhouse, the baby-faced 18-year-old accused of killing two Black Lives Matter protesters last year in Kenosha. He is claiming self-defense. You may remember him. He's the youngster with the rifle strapped to his chest who attempted to surrender to police who didn't seem to want to arrest him. His trial this week, and again, it's a homicide trial, two men died, has been positively comedic as Judge Bruce Schroeder presiding over it seems to be auditioning for a role on Monty Python. Here he is yesterday, the Veterans Day holiday in America, securing a round of applause for a defense witness who is a firearms expert. Any veterans on the rope, on the jury, or anywhere else? Well, I, that's unusual not to have at least somebody in here, but oh, Dr. Uh, Black is, uh, uh, what branch? Army, sir. Okay, and uh, I think we give a round of applause to the people who've served our country. 
Okay, so you may proceed. When the prosecution does proceed, the judge is all over them, constantly trying to cut them off at the knees. Here's one exchange of many in which Judge Schroeder has overruled attempts by District Attorney Thomas Binger to refer to the dead men as victims. Instead, he says they must be called looters or to introduce evidence about the alleged gunman's previous threats to use violence. Just hours ago, I said I had heard nothing in this trial to change any of my rulings. So why? Testimony, Your Honor. Pardon me? That was before the Don't defense testimony. Don't get brazen with me. Uh, you know very well that an attorney can't go into these types of areas when the judge has already ruled without asking outside the presence of the jury to do so. So don't give me that. I said it couldn't come in, and it isn't coming in. No matter what you think. What the district attorney definitely appears to think is that the judge is tilting the trial in the defendant's favour. We may get a verdict next week, giving the judge plenty more time to, as he did yesterday, crack a joke about Asian food or complain in real time about what legal pundits on television are saying about him. Now, one of these, this was on CNN, uh, Jeffrey Tubin and uh, another attorney there, and... Uh, it, 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 the comment was made that the ruling was incomprehensible. And I think they obviously are not familiar with this rule. But the piece de resistance came during an exchange the judge was having with defense attorneys. It was interrupted by his cell phone. And if the court makes a finding that uh, the actions that I had talked about... Now, as the late, great Tom O'Connor used to say to game show contestants... For 50 pounds, name... That tune. I'll name that tune in too, Tom. It's Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American, which just happens to be the theme played at every single Donald Trump rally. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Free even to have your homicide trial presided over by a judge who, with a nod, a wink, and even a racist joke, may not be entirely on the level. Who wouldn't, Eddie, week after week be proud to be an American in a country that is diminishing itself by the day? God bless the USA. Simon Marx's American Week, back next Friday at a quarter to five.